Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. All right, good. Thanks for coming. So in the Orthodox tradition, you say that 10,000 times a day just to get started. So if you need homework, go ahead. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us. Amen. It's very nice to have you here. Um, some of you I've met for the first time today, which is very interesting. Uh, you know, it's a brave thing for you to wander across the threshold of a church. So I appreciate that very much. I also appreciate that you came early. As you'll find out, part of the hope here is that you'll get to know each other and you'll find your people. It's like everything else in life. It's like going to college. It's like your first job. It's like moving into your neighborhood. If you find your people, you know, everything goes just a bit, a bit easier. So come early. There'll always be breakfast here. By the way, there's... Um, don't leave anything behind. Take all those bagels, all those donuts. Otherwise, somebody will put them in a refrigerator and we'll find them next May. So there are bags and everything. Just take everything. The yogurt, the fruit. Don't presume it'll stay. Take it with you as you go. Especially you uh, poor college students on a budget. You can put it on your FAFSA form. So keep going. Uh, now, just in terms of what we're trying to do here. Uh, this is sort of everything bundled into one big basket. If you're just interested about Christianity, this is the right place for you. If you're curious about St. John, that's good. If you need anything, if you need a marriage or a baptism or you're going into the hospital, you need care, this is good. Uh, if you just want to come for free breakfast, that's completely fine uh, because, you know, that's more commitment than, than most people want to make on a Saturday. So I'm, I'm very glad you're here. You should know um, we don't have any expectation for you. So there's no sort of press at the end, will you please join or sign on the dotted line. I have hundreds and hundreds of names of people who have been found and then lost. Uh, and so I'm not really interested in having a lot of names or a great big church or um, more things to do or people to chase. I'm very interested in what Jesus is interested in, which is to make disciples. So that is what Jesus says. He says to the you know, we'll, we'll go through this probably next week, but says to the 12, in your going, make disciples, you know, sort of as you move through. And disciples has this beautiful, rhythmic, organic way of looking at life. If you read in Acts chapter 2 about what happened after Pentecost, you'll find that there's this very uh, rhythmic way that the people who belong to Christ sort of orbit him, and they're given to Christ and scripture and prayer. Uh, that's not so remarkable because they were used to that as good Jews. But also then, uh, what is interesting is how generous they were. People were astounded that they took care of people not only in their own community, but outside the community. So there's this great management of, they pool their resources and live in community, they take care of the poor and they heal the sick. And, People are astounded that you would be kind to somebody outside your tribe. So you have this thorough mercy, which then gives this beautiful witness to Christ in the world. And that's what we're chasing, that your life and mine would come into this orbit and that you would have this disciplined kind of life for Christ and scripture and prayer and the Holy Eucharist, which is the center of life. And it's the center of life because the Holy Supper is Jesus. Right? So uh, tomorrow when we ring the bell and bow down in a door, if it's only a piece of bread, that breaks the first commandment and it's the greatest sin. But if it is the body of Jesus, it's the truest thing that ever happened. So Christ in scripture and prayer, the whole liturgy, holy liturgy, tithing and alms, so um, giving money to the church and also money to the poor, so good can be done. A thorough mercy, not just to your own people, but to all people, because after all, God wants all his children home again. And then you don't have to worry too much about the witness you've given or knocking on doors or saying to people, if you died today, would you go? See, the witness has already been given. Life is the witness, right? Mercy is the witness. Living together is the witness. So the great pull is to try to move you into that and have you take that quite seriously. Now, that'll be difficult. There's always um, the challenges of sin and 
and uh, the world and our flesh, you know, Satan, there's always, and I'm, I'm more sensitive to this the older I get. I've, over the years, and myself and in others, been able to observe <clears throat> how spiritual life works and how great joys then often come with great challenges. So if you're newly married, be careful. Or vicar, if you're newly a pastor, be careful, right? Or if you have a great run of everything working, be careful, not because like the Greek gods, you know, that the gods lift you up to slap you down, but because if you poke evil in the eye, it'll poke you back. But if you all know that together, and if you know at the end of the day that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you proceed uh, with the assurance that all is well. So that is sort of where we're going. So you're free to ask anything you want. There's a little card. Um, <clears throat> now, there's this little card that says, ask anything you want. So I thought we could spend some time with this. Only three words. Is consubstantiation, consubstantiation Nestorianism? Discuss. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, in code. That's a very nice question, actually. But uh, that's, for, that's for four months from now. So, uh, uh, yeah, no. It's, it's, you've got to be a bit of a genius to write that question. So, uh, but there's a little card there about, that says something about baptism and then kind of says anything because I don't want to restrict you. Baptism is the first thing we'll do because baptism is the first thing in the Christian life. Uh, that's why the font is at the door, right? Because you have to walk through the Red Sea to get to the Promised Land because baptism was where life starts. We were in Greece last year and our guide said, offhandedly, she was Orthodox, she offhandedly said, People don't exist until they're baptized. I was like, but then when you think about it from a theological perspective, people don't exist until they're baptized. Not in the sense that she made it, this full Christian image of God sense. So if you have a child that needs to be baptized, I know that one is already, good job. But if you have a child that needs to be baptized, don't delay. Um, someday my lovely wife can tell you the story of having twins on a Friday being kicked out of the hospital on a Saturday, so we baptized him on a Sunday because, you know, we'd already been kicked out. So uh, that's how insurance works sometimes. Anyway, so here we go. If you have a Bible in front of you, why don't you grab that? Meanwhile, Vicar, are you there? Can you help me? Right? There you go. This is your first. Uh, if you can help, if you can find Romans, that would be good. So uh, if you know where that is, help your next door neighbor. If you don't know where that is, then uh, it's about uh, three-eighths of an inch from the, from the back, right? And see if you can get to Romans chapter 6. Just, uh, they should, yeah, I don't know if all those Bibles are the same, but if you can get to Romans chapter 6, that would be nice. What will happen to you, or what will happen to us as we go, is that we're going to proceed uh, sort of experientially. So I know there's a range of ways to do this. We could start with how the catechism works, or we could start at the beginning of the Bible. I'm actually going to start with what happens to you on Sunday morning. So you're very brave. You wander in. And the very first thing that happens is you say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Now, for you... Um, some, uh, even if you're Lutheran, somewhere along the line you may have uh, had a, learned an aversion to making the sign of the cross. Um, the next time you're attacked by a demon, uh, you'll value the sign of the cross more than you did back when your uh, pastor as a child told you not to do it. The catechism says, in the morning when you wake up, make the sign of the cross and say, you can make it the way the Greeks do it, you can do it the way the Catholics do it, you can do it the way the Greek priest does it when he's facing it. I don't care how you do it, but you should learn to make the side of the cross because that consolidates everything. If you watch the World Series last night, people go in to uh, face a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. What do they do? They make the sign of the cross. <laughs> I would, too. It makes complete sense, right? In these times of great danger. But um, 
you know, the first thing we do is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It'll take us about four weeks to get that far. And then we'll do absolution. That'll be Christmas. So, you know, the first few things we do kind of take forever. But it'll be worth it. You'll see. So, if you've got Romans 6, do you have it? Don't be shy. Help your, help your next-door neighbor here. <clears throat> um, Put a mark there, and then I'm just going to have you, just for a verse or two, move to your right to Ephesians chapter 2. So you're going to need two things at once. If you just go about 100 pages to the right, uh, you'll find Ephesians chapter 2. So those are the two places we're going to go this morning. Okay? Let me know when you got it. You okay? You're also biblically literate. I don't, see, part of this is, because I don't know you, I don't know what you know or where you've been uh, while you're looking for that, then I'll tell you, some of you, you know, haven't ever been to church before, which is fabulous. And some of you have been Lutherans your whole life. And uh, here's the trouble, though. I don't know what I'm getting in you, and you have no idea what you're getting in me. All right? Because in some ways, denominations uh, don't matter anymore. Denominations were a modern invention in the modern world, you know, around about 1500. And so, uh, in some ways, Lutherans can look like Baptists. They can also look like Orthodox, you know. Baptists can look like Catholics or, you know, people in a non-denominational church. You don't, I have no idea what, you're, what I'm getting in you. I have no idea what you know. And you have no idea what you're getting in me. I can tell you what I hope you're getting in me. There's all sorts of ways to be a pastor. You can be pastor as a therapist. You can be pastor as a CEO. You can be pastor as an inspirational speaker. The model we've chosen and shared by all the pastors here is pastor is one who cares for your soul. Right? There's an ancient tradition of this, the care of souls, uh, forgiveness of sins, spiritual direction, um, the centrality of the sacraments. It's a kind of a labor-intensive model that takes a lot of work on your part and a lot of work on our part because growth comes by inches in spiritual things, usually. Usually it's a long, slow, disciplined process with um, fits and starts. But at the end, uh, you end up in a place which is beyond your imagination. We are here because we've seen wonderful things. And you are too. And there are more wonderful things to see. And just while I'm at it, um, you know, sort of, I grew up with, you know, the reason you went to church is to stay out of hell. And then everything else was just sort of, that is, you know, the bare minimum. Uh, and just so I'm clear, hell is when you get your way forever, Right? When you get your own way forever, that's hell. As C.S. Lewis said, the door to hell is locked from the inside. And so this bare minimum of, you know, hey, I just don't want to go to hell. Jesus almost never talks that way. He talks about this wonderful, beautiful life where people are in community, treat each other with love and as brothers and sisters and turn the other cheek and where you have no enemies which already you should be able to see how different this room should be from another room somewhere else. That Jesus wants all his children home again. That Jesus has no enemies. So you want all God's children home again and you have no enemies. It's a startlingly different way to look at life. But it's not just enough to look at life. This isn't a data dump. This isn't like maybe you could memorize these 10 or 11 things and then we can all get along. No, no. This is actually the change of your heart. That's the whole point here. And to live a particular kind of life together, right? So that you're all on the same end of the rope and wonderful things happen. That's, that's the goal. And in some sense, you know, I can only do so much. You make this the place you want it to be, right? And the same thing for me. I, uh, you can only do so much. I have to make this the place I want to be. It turns out, after being here 25 years, this is the church I've always wanted to belong to. People here are fabulous. 
and the place is full of possibility, but there is so much more to do. Um, since I've been here, the median age has gone from 62 to 38. So there's tons of young people here, but the real challenge, so I'm retiring next year, Pastor Nelson's gonna take over. The real challenge right now is to, um, older folks are moving out of the way, that's not been the challenge, they're not holding on, but the challenge is for younger folks to really lead, to really lead with commitment, and to understand the kind of responsibility that comes with, you know, having 500 or 1,000 people in a place and trying to get them all to move faithfully and without being self-indulgent, right? There's a lot to do, and if you're here, you're part of it, if you want to be part of it. So, you know, this is all just kind of background to why are we here and what are we doing and what are we trying to do, right? We're not trying to be big, we're trying to be faithful, right? We're not trying to, you know, hold on, we're trying to open up, and we're trying to be otherworldly, Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world, right? So fundamentally, and it's part of the reason we have a high mass, fundamentally that's a marker that what happens here doesn't happen in the world. That is not a criticism of how anybody else does anything. I have my own ideas about that. I've learned over decades it's fruitless to talk about it because people are irrational. So, okay, we do what we do, and it's yours if you want it, and here we go. That's the hope, right? So, all right. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Jesus made you alive even though you looked just like this. The word there, dead, is necros. Literally, that is the biblical word for roadkill. It means you're by the side of the road, you've already, rigor mortis has already set in. Um, you know, if we poke you, you know, you smell, things are starting to um, fall apart. That's the word there. So every year, most every year, I get to give a lecture in the Billy Graham Center about why you can't decide for Christ. Hmm, it's a bit of an interesting thing. <laughs> the reason you can't, and so I've, I have, uh, you know, I reconcile myself to the fact that it's a bit of semantics. Um, the reason you can't do it is because you should take death seriously. The single story in scripture is death and resurrection. That's the only story and it's told over and over and over and over again. Right? Death and resurrection is the only story there is. Even at the end of the parable of the prodigal son, who's beautiful. My son who was lost has been found. My son who is dead has been made alive. Right? So you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I have seen this, and I actually just got a report from a member who was driving. I now have members who stop their car and send me photos of this. I don't know who does this, but I've actually seen it. I, one morning, I was bringing my kids to school. There was a raccoon with a balloon on at the corner of Roosevelt and West as I'm driving. I'm thinking, if my kids weren't going to be late for school, by the time I went back to take a picture, it wasn't there anymore, which is a great sadness. And then I presume the angels escorted the animal to heaven. So, um, but you know, that's, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Get better soon. If that raccoon could get better, he would get better. Right? This is a little like when you're depressed and somebody says to you, cheer up. It's not that helpful. If you could cheer up, you would cheer up, right? Or when you're sick and somebody comes, so comes to the hospital and says, get better. And you're like, if I could get better, I would get better right? Of course, um, you've heard this over and over again in the scripture. This is about being lost. This is about being dead. This is about having a hard heart. There's all kinds of ways you can describe this, but death is the absolute best because nobody can resurrect themselves. People can be resurrected. You've all been around where um, one of, the, one of the reasons my wife loves me so is I've saved her life. We were at her aunt and uncle's house for, I think, Thanksgiving, and he, he, he had just um, saved a man in a restaurant who was choking, so we went upstairs and we're getting, my wife took a pill that got caught in her throat, 
And then she starts looking at me. She goes like this. And I'm like, hey, that's funny. I remember he was telling us that story. She's like, no, I'm doing this. And I'm like, I know, that's the international choking sign. You're good at it. Way to go. She, so when she started to turn blue, then I gave her the high, and this pill shot across the room. And you can see, this is the reason she loves me so. She's indebted, <laughs> does everything I say. It's a beautiful relationship now. Because she was dead, and she couldn't save herself. And we didn't have that much life insurance at that point. So now she's alive, and everything is beautiful, right? You were dead through your trespasses and sins, right? In fact, you once acted like you were part of the world. You walked through the course of the world, you followed the prince of the power of the air, Satan, right? Um, and so you should tuck away, you know, little things like the rise in witchcraft, and, uh, you know, we can talk about those things later. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. You know, all these, in all these we once lived according to the passions of our flesh, following the desires of body and mind, and so we were, and here's the original sin, we were by nature children of wrath, right? So one of the things about Hebrew, the language, and then about Jewish storytelling is it says the same thing over and over again in lots of ways to make sure that you get the point, which is what's happening here with St. Paul. If you read the Psalms, you know, sometimes you like, you read a line and then like, they just said that. Yeah, they said it again because they want to make sure that you get it. But the single point is you're dead and you can't fix it. Of course, the bright side is only the dead can be resurrected. Or in order to be resurrected, you've got to be dead. So now turn left back in your Bible to Romans 6. Okay. By the way, um, because I went to pastor school, I learned how to talk and talk and talk until the buzzer goes off. So if you want to interrupt me at any point, feel free. But uh, otherwise, I'm just going to keep going. Okay? So, I mean, you can raise your hand. You can throw those cards at me. Um, if you've got questions, mark them down now. But otherwise, there's so much to do, and frankly, this excites me. This is next to going to the altar. This time together is the most fun thing I get to do in the church. So, you know, this is because uh, I get, you know, these are the stories that matter. So Romans 6, um, verse 3. Don't you know, everybody knows, don't you know, this is rhetorical, right? Everybody knows, don't you know, don't you know, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, the vicar is very smart. He's the last one who's been to seminary. So uh, his Greek is the best, I suppose, although, you know. But um, so here you are, right? You're necros in your trespasses and sins. Wow, I've got a bit of a bold point there. Uh, you're dead. And uh, what happens then is, don't you know that you were baptized into Christ Jesus? Uh, that's a preposition of motion, if you do the Greek. It means that you took something, man, and you moved it to another place. To be baptized, it's a, to be baptized into means you have a thing, and you pick it up and move it into, and now it's in. It's in the midst of this wonderful people at this table. It's in. So you move into his motion. In is where you live. Now pay attention to that as you go here. So don't you know that you were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into his death. So as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So think about all the things that are in here. There is um, death. Wow, I gotta get a thinner point. Uh, and burial and uh, resurrection, and glory, and new life. And this is the church. So, and now, what happens is in the church, wow, that really looks horrible. Sorry, I haven't practiced for a while. It's really not so good. Um, 
What happens is that um, you now live in that spot. So it's you and you come here. And the way we talk about this is to be in Christ. You are now the body of Christ. You are the community of Christ. You are the church. You are an elbow and I think you might be a big toe. But, right? What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that you share Christ's fate. Easter Vigil will be the night that um, you can join us if you want. Uh, and if we want. It works both ways. Uh, but the whole point of Easter Vigil is that your fate is tied to Jesus' fate. So we read all the great stories of scripture. We read um, about the Garden of Eden and we read about the Red Sea and we read about the three men in the fiery furnace, except as you know, there are actually four. Uh, and the last one looks like a son of the gods. Fascinating stuff. Jesus comes to walk around in the fiery furnace. He who has eyes to hear, ears to hear, let him hear, right? So what happens is you're dead and Jesus picks you up and he walks you into the church at your baptism and now you're in Christ. And so um, when you die, you can welcome death as your friend because you've already had your biggest death, right? And when you're tempted, you can say, well, this is certainly painful, but um, sin can't get the, the best of me or I won't be overcome by this because Jesus is with me. So, um, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, and notice it's a passive verb. Every once in a while, one of my uh, you know, stray parishioners will run off and get baptized again as if um, Jesus didn't get it right the first time. Do you remember who baptized you? This is a trick question. No. Wow, that's a trick answer. Well played. Expect nothing less than a Michigan grad. Go blue. Is there a Michigan State, is there any Michigan State fan in here today? You pretty much own this place, thank God. It's like, a, we aim to be a welcoming place, okay? If somebody says, if you say to somebody who baptized you, among the, we've been talking about swear words all morning. Uh, you know, one of the ways if somebody says, um, Pastor Bruzek baptized me. What a horrible thing to say, right? Who baptized you? Who baptized you? Andrew, who baptized you? Thank you, Jesus baptized you. Just like when Chrysostom says, when you, when you come to the Holy Supper and the um, priest holds out the host, it's not the priest who holds out the host, it is Jesus himself. And in the same way, I mean, of course, you know, you, I have people that I love and pastors who are dear to me. But the first answer is when you say, who baptized me? The answer is Jesus did. And so then um, that eliminates the, ne the need for being baptized again later, or I didn't have my say, or I didn't get it quite right, or I didn't choose this. One of, among the most mystifying parental actions to me is when people say to me, um, I'm going to let my child choose about religion. And then, of course, I always ask, you know, do you let your child choose about math? You know, about English? Shouldn't they just be able to choose whatever grammar they like? Or two and two is 19? Shouldn't that be, you shouldn't they be able to? Um, corollary to this is when people say, um, we want, my kids didn't understand what was going on, so we're going to go someplace else to church. I've said, you know, let your kids, um, Make the small decisions, how to invest your 401k, you know, uh, whether you should take the job promotion, if you want to live in New Jersey or not. Like, let your, ch let your child make the small, you make the big decisions, like where you're going to go to church, right? Don't let your children be adults and your adults be children. Come on. So, uh, I gave you there, any proud Valpo grads here? Anybody go? A couple of, only one? 
too. You, but have you ever seen this? Absolutely. Yeah, so um, the beauty of that is, right? And occasionally somebody still gets baptized there. There's a sadness when they, you know, just bring a bowl and do it up top. But, you know, the, the, the chapel is designed. It's nondescript from the outside a bit, but then inside, glorious. And, you know, this is way down at the bottom where you might hang your coat or get dressed or do something else, change your child. There's the font. And, you know, you can stand people like saints and angels all the way around up a circular staircase, which stands for eternity, right? And if you get them baptized and then get them all the way to the top, into the church they go toward the altar to have the Holy Supper. This is remarkable, not just as somebody would think of that, but somebody would spend the money to do that. This glorious thing, we've had some time in, we were away in Europe for a couple of weeks of summer and, um, you know, I'm hopeless about going into churches. But I'm always um, struck by, over and over, the thought again of these people really love Jesus. The first church I was ever in, first time I ever went to Europe, I landed in Bruges on, on All Saints Day. And in the Cathedral of Bruges, it took 300 years to build it, which means somebody put the first stone in and their great, 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 maybe great grandchild put the last tile on the roof, right? That's the love of Jesus. See, this is the, you know, the life that you want to be part of. You don't want to be part of a small life that doesn't matter. You want, you know, needs worth having, right? You want a life that matters, that makes some impulse, even in some small way. Right? Even in some, you want a life of holiness. All these things are the way of the same. You, you want a life that's alive. So don't you know you were dead in your trespasses and sins? And then Jesus, while you were still dead, he gave you the Heimlich. He, you know, clear. Right? Uh, we have those paddles here. We should. I need a volunteer. Bobby, come on. No, not for you. You do it to, yeah. Anyway, yes. See, then you would remember. This is the problem with the church. It's boring. But if we got those paddles out and sparked somebody, then you would remember that baptism is the moment when you go from death to life. You'd remember that, right? So this, of course, is what happened. And it's a passive verb. Jesus does it to you. Don't you know that when you were baptized, don't you know that when Jesus dunked you in the water, don't you know that you got, as a gift, his death, and his burial, and his resurrection, and his new life. Don't you know that when you got baptized, you too became a child of God? Don't you know? This is great stuff. We were buried with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, and this is very important, walk in the newness of life, that we too might do what Jesus does, that we might engage the poor, that we might feed people who are hungry, that we might be healing to people, rather than contentiousness, that we might welcome everybody, that we might be able to give a clear witness, that we would live in mercy, right? That we would pray for our enemies, and we would lend and expect nothing in return. Because after all, the Beatitudes is just Jesus' job description. He's just telling you how life is for him and how it could be for you, right? If we've been united with him, right, joined to him, vicar, there's a margin comments, so they don't think that Paul wasn't Lutheran. Vicar, are you here? There you go. It's the one about being cemented. Red ink. Look for red ink, right? If we were united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you've already died, death with a capital D. You've already died when you got plunged into the water. And um, so when it's your last breath, you don't need to be so afraid. In fact, for Christians, death becomes a friend. And uh, you needn't be so disconsolate. I've told, I mean, there, there are people who are members, but you're not members, so I just have, you know, I only have so many stories and that's the way it is. So if you've been around in Chicago for a while, there was a great <clears throat> man, Cardinal Bernadine, uh, who had cancer and then he was treated and then, uh, Cancer came back and he called a news conference and uh, 
he sort of looked out into the people very serenely and said, um, it's been a tough go. I've had really great care at Loyola. The Catholics are fabulous. And I'm going to stop treatment now because there's really nothing else they can really do for me. And, you know, it, it, was like, it was like all the reporters and the television people fell off their chairs. I happened to be driving, so I was listening to it. And it was like people couldn't clamor enough to say, are you out of your mind? And, and it's interesting, he sort of calms, he, he sort of, they all sort of go at once, and then he says, what you all need to understand is that death is my friend. And because of Jesus, I don't fear death. In fact, my death is the only way to pass over. Genius stuff. It's the same for you once you're baptized. Right? And you see how then this starts to take the pressure off. So think about your life now. You don't have to fear your death, and you don't have to fear other people, and you don't have to hate, right? And you can be honest with the people here in this room. And when you're troubled, these people will... You begin to see what kind of community orbits Jesus, right? And then, then you think about people who aren't in the church, and you say to yourself, it's only because they haven't been told wonderful things. So you need to be part of telling people wonderful things. Like this. Five, we've been united with him, and you have a Luther quote there. Luther says the same thing. We are cemented to Jesus. We're cemented to Jesus. So one thing you can never say as a Christian is, <clears throat> I'm all alone and nobody loves me. Can't possibly be true. Because Jesus is always there with you. You're united with Jesus. You're cemented to Jesus. You're never alone. You're always loved. Right? To be baptized is to be loved. Um, we know that our old self was crucified. That'll give you a fighting chance to do some good. So you don't have to sin anymore with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed. We're no longer slaves to sin. Once I die, I'm free from sin. I died with Christ. I live with Christ. I'll be raised with Christ. Uh, verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God, which is what we want to say of you and what I want to be able to say about my life. I've died to sin, you know, and I've risen with Christ, and I live in the joy and mercy and hope of God, right? So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And then there it is, in Christ Jesus. So now you live inside Christ. You live inside the church. And this is why then in the history of the church, baptism was always the first step. You don't go to the Eucharist and then get baptized or um, you don't, uh, you frankly don't do anything in the church until you've first been baptized. It's the very first step. If you have kids that need to be baptized, um, you should, and you're, we should baptize them. If you yourself, I always have a person who haven't been baptized, if you yourself haven't been baptized, you know, we should begin to talk about that because it's one of the great moments of your life. It's one of the fabulous things that can happen to you. Because, of course, you become a child of God. You become washed clean. You become joyful. You become resurrected. All right, I'll pause and draw a breath. How are you doing? You still okay? Questions about any of that stuff? Yeah, I know this often happens. 38 minutes in, I can beat you down so far that you'll never say another word. I know this can happen. <laughs> Seriously, any questions about anything? Did anybody write a question down, which I can pretend like I don't know where it came from, and then answer it? Megan, did you, did you like write questions and put them on other tables so I wouldn't know it was you? Of course. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Crafty. Yeah? My wife's had enough. She's leaving. Okay, that can happen. Um, just a couple of other things then. Vic, can you help me, please? So here, you can do this one. So there's a couple of different ways to talk about this. Um, but often people arrive at this point or they come here, they come to the church sort of as a last resort, which, you know what, that's okay. It can be, it can be a last resort. But um, I'm going to give you this little quote from C.S. Lewis. When we want something, when we want to be something other than the thing God wants us to be, when we want to be something 
other than the thing God wants us to be. We must be wanting what, in fact, will not make us happy. And so, uh, you know, people ask, you know, why are things so troubling? Or why is life so difficult? Or why are I so unhappy? You know, the easy answer is, the easy answer is because you want something that's not good for you. I was in um, private confession with a person once who had some grave sins or had been struggled kind of repeatedly with some sins. And, uh, you know, after about 30 minutes, this person said to me, so what you're telling me is my sins just aren't good for me. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. You know what? Your sins aren't good for you. And so um, if you want something that Jesus doesn't want for you, life's just going to go badly. You'll be miserable. Thank you so much. Now there's a, um, a more... Uh, there you go. Good. He's a nice man, the vicar. Um, on the other sheet, the bit longer thing uh, from the Didache. The Didache was... Uh, an early book on how to be a pastor in a congregation. And so you have this longer way of saying, you know, there's two ways. And you, you all want simplicity? There are two ways. The way of life and the way of death. It can get more simple than that. There you go. I don't know if I gave you enough. There are two ways. One of life and one of death. Friend, you can have anything you want. Yes, you can. We'll even lie to you. Yeah. There are two ways. One's the way of life, one's the way of death. And there's a great difference between the two ways. Right? This is just early stuff. Now, you have to think, these are people who are living uh, under persecution, in, uh, underneath the domination of Rome. Uh, Christians are suspect if not killed. There are two ways, one the way of death, one the way of life. The great differences between the two ways. The way of life then is this. First, love the God who made you. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And do not do to another what you would not want done to you. And these sayings, and of these sayings, the teaching is this. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. Fast for those who persecute you. For what reward is there for loving those who love you? Do not the Gentiles do the same? You can hear, of course, this is just a paraphrase of Jesus. But love those who hate you, and you shall not have an enemy. Abstain from fleshly and worldly lusts. That's because sex is meant to be an image of Christ in the church. Right? If someone strikes your right cheek, turn to him the other also, and you shall be perfect. If someone impresses you for one mile, go with him too. If someone takes your cloak, then give him your coat, right? And you can see uh, how far we are from these things desperately sometimes. But, you know, this can, this can be a start. So we'll see what happens. So, huh. Is always so, you, you're always so interesting because you know, I've learned about three new things this morning, which is really nice. So, um, this, do Lutherans also believe in something like a baptism of desire? So here's the thing. I actually never heard the phrase before, which is why I was pausing, which is kind of cool. So, but nice question. Explain. For people like the thief on the cross to Jesus right, who were never baptized with water but still went to heaven. Nice. Another way would, for this would be to ask would be, let's say that you're in this class today, but you didn't get baptized yet. On the way home, you get hit by a Budweiser beer truck. Will we do your funeral? Hmm. I thought you would laugh at that. You're apparently very serious about beer, which I guess is good. Yes, okay. So, uh, now, now here's the interesting thing. Um, What's the answer? Hey, 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 hey. You can tell the members, the members heckle me. So, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, here, what's the answer? That's great. I, wanna, I want you to be able to figure out the answer on your own. That's why there are several midterm exams during this time, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what's the answer? The answer is the normal way that you move into the kingdom of God is through baptism. That's the normal way. Sometimes the normal way isn't available to us. When a Christian mother miscarries a child, for example, right? Or when someone well-intentioned knows that Jesus loves them, but for whatever reason was brought up in a way that they weren't baptized and then they're lost. Or the thief on the cross. So here's the thing. Baptism is the normal first step into the kingdom of God. That's just how Jesus set it up. But this is going to be really important as we go. The gospel is touch. Physical, incarnate, bodily, fleshly, physical touch. What saves you is the touch of Jesus, right? So now you think about this. Jesus takes his name and he puts it on your skin. That saves you. He takes his body and blood from the cross and he touches it to your tongue. That saves you. Or he takes his words and he rubs them on your eardrums. That saves you. Touch is just, I mean, sound is just touch at a distance, right? Sound is just touch, thank you. Sound is just touch at a distance. So yes, when Jesus says to the man, you're saved, um, then he's saved. Because what Jesus says happens, I forgive you all your sins, or this is my body, or you're saved. What Jesus says happens. And here's another just little glossary for you. Faith agrees. So the gospel is touch and faith agrees. So Jesus said to the man, uh, you'll be in paradise with me. And then the man said, thank you very much. He said it to the other guy, basically. He's not a sinner like us. He's the son of God. You should believe in him too. But he basically said, amen, or yes, or thank you, or more please. That, those are all expressions of faith. So faith just agrees with Jesus. Jesus says, I love you. And you say, you love me, right? That's faith. Or Jesus says, I forgive you, and you say, you forgive me. That's faith, right? So we'll talk more about that. But the gospel is touch. So yes, of course, he gets, he gets saved. Um, yeah, this is so good. Yeah, good, good, good. So what happens if someone's baptized, and then they leave the faith, and then they decide to come back? Do they lose their salvation during that period and regain their salvation, not require a second baptism? This is a very sophisticated question. Thank you very much. This is just this, I mean, I'm always struck by the level of reflection people here. Yeah, so what happens when people leave the faith? All right, um, a couple of things to think about. There's not a bell that goes off, right? So first, I just want to caution you about people leaving the faith. Jesus fishes with a barbed hook. Once you're baptized, it's very difficult to shake him. Now, people do all kinds of horrible things, right? And they, you know, this is why the church talks about mortal sins that kill you instantly and venial sins. People um, are neglectful in so many ways, they don't pray or don't learn to pray. They don't come to church or don't see why the Eucharist is important. Yeah, I mean, um, and it shouldn't always be about other people. It's about us too, right? So, you know, first there is a difficulty in, I just want to pause and say there's always a difficulty in um, saying if somebody has left the faith, even when people... Um, do horrible, horrible things like, you know, there's um, unbaptismal rites where children who feel pressed upon that their parents uh, 
baptize them, there's an, there's an anti-right, just like there's a black mass, right? There's an anti-baptismal right. Okay, so someplace in there, you can lose faith. I just want to be very careful about us being judgy about other people losing their faith because Jesus has a very strong grip. It's very difficult to shake him. He loves you so and them so. What happens in the middle period, let's just, let's, but let's, for the sake of a very nice question, let's just say somebody loses their faith. What happens in that middle period? Great danger, right? And bad habits. And also, I just, and I wasted life. I mean, one of the things about people coming back late in life or being sort of not charged up about it is your life is wasted. I mean, your life, there are beautiful things. There are great artists. There's fabulous art. There's beautiful poetry. There's common grace. There is civility. There are all these things. And yet, there's always more, right? And in some sense, unless everything is pulling on the same end toward the glory of God, life is wasted. So what happens in the middle piece? Your life isn't what it could be. You are in great danger. You subject yourself to the demonic because you go it alone, right? You um, often develop bad habits. And at some point, when you're so unhappy or in so much pain, you come back. What happens? You left Jesus. Jesus never left you. And so we'd say, well, he baptized you 30 years ago. Uh, you've been a bit of a bum. But um, Jesus loved bums, so welcome back, and let's kind of work the kinks out. How about that? that we're <laughs> hey, hey, no personal testimonies, okay? <laughs> so, that was a very nice question. Good. You, get somebody, you got something else out there? Life tied to yeah. um, Christ the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one. Yeah, right. You were never not part of this flock. Nice. Nicely said. So this is a very nice observation. You know the story about um, Jesus, you know, he's got 99 safe sheep and he goes out and finds the one. The observation is you still belong to the flock when you wander, right? Um, but also, and this is very important kind of for the work here, it's very labor intensive to go find that one. And it takes a great deal of understanding from the 99, right? right? And yet Jesus is just like, I'm going to be really busy here. You should wait for a moment and, you know. So that's a sophisticated way of thinking about our life together as well. What else? Questions? If you don't, if you don't ask me questions, I will tell you stories. <laughs> okay. Um, baptism saves dead people, does it? Yes. What effect does baptism have on Jesus? Brilliantly done. Um, Counterpunch. Jesus doesn't get the same baptism that you got. And I have to think this through carefully, right? So Jesus gets the baptism of John the baptizer, or to say it more clearly, John the baptizer gives Jesus John the baptizer's baptism, right? Jesus' baptism doesn't exist until later. So Jesus doesn't get his own baptism. You get Jesus' baptism. Jesus gets John's baptism. I can't seem to say that in a very clear way. But um, everybody in the church gets Jesus' baptism. John's baptism was, remember Jesus says in that brilliant little thing with the Pharisees back and forth, tell me about John. Was he a prophet or was he a prophet? Was his baptism from, was John a prophet from God or not a prophet from God, right? And they won't answer, right? And then John, Jesus says that beautiful thing where he says, he's the greatest man who ever lived. Nobody liked John the Baptist. John the Baptizer's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. So, right, because he said, he, um, John, was John's baptism for the forgiveness of sins? That's the question, right? So John baptized people, and when they were baptized, their sins were forgiven. That shouldn't have been so surprising for people. Even today, you have people argue that baptism doesn't forgive sins. You kind of go, Jesus' baptism forgave sins, John's baptism forgave sins, and frankly, if you were going to convert to Judaism, you went through a ritual of self-baptism where you washed yourself clean. That was part of what was going on, right? 
So you asked me, why did Jesus get baptized? What was your, your way back to your first question? I, I don't know that I asked you why he got baptized, but, but did what he get did his, baptism do? It linked Jesus to all the other people in the water and to you. So if you think about it this way, think about it this way. John's in the Jordan River with a bunch of damn sinners. And they leave their sin in the water. The water forgives their sins. Jesus is like a sponge. When Jesus ju dumps, jumps in, he doesn't push sins out. He absorbs the sin of all those sinners. Right? So everybody's clean. This is the same thing when Jesus touches the lepers. If I touch a leper, the leper contaminates me. When Jesus touches the leper, um, Jesus cleanses the leper. He, he, he's, not, he's not defiled by the leper, right? He remains clean even though he's touched by sin, right? So the great passage in Corinthians, he who uh, knew no sin became sin for us, right? So what happens when Jesus gets baptized? He is in solidarity with you and he absorbs the sins of all those around him, just as when he absorbs them as he's walking down the road. Or when you go to absolution tomorrow. What is you, my wife had an experience at, in that chapel at Valpo. Norman Nagel was the dean for a while. Um, at Good Friday, he used to individually absolve people. She has a memory of Norman um, putting, forgiving her. And she said it was as if you know he reached into my soul and pulled my sins out, right, physically. If you knew Norman, that beautiful. He used to read the news on the BBC. His, his, his English was so nice, right? That was his, that was his part-time school job, too, uh, so. What else? Questions about anything? Friend. Um, like when Jesus is on the cross and his side is punctured by the spirit of blood and water book Yes. How does, like, uh, Everything you said was about, yeah. So if you want to think about it this way, this is, I mean, this will stretch Lutherans, but uh, when Jesus is poked in the side, what runs out? One answer is blood and water. Another answer is holy baptism and holy Eucharist, right? In the tradition of the church, that's been interpreted that way from forever, you know, that when Jesus is poked in the side. But often things are not just one thing, right? I mean, clearly they poke him and blood and water runs out and there's all kinds of medical studies about you know, how that worked and what happened and where's the water come from. Yeah, okay. You can, that's, but what do they say? Blood and water came out. Now you have to think about what does that mean, right? What does it mean for Jesus' blood and water to sort of run out you know, and flood the landscape, right? What does that mean for people standing under the cross? What does it mean to be touched by the water and blood of Jesus? First in the most literal sense, You've seen the old, isn't John Wayne the <coughs> soldier? Oh, he's the soldier. He's not the guy who stabs him. You got to watch old movies to get this right. But surely this man was the son of God and kind of his John Wayne kind of drawl, right? But I mean, what if you're the guy that stabbed him and then, you know, his blood and his water splashed on you? You kind of go, lucky guy, right? So yes, I mean, I mean, this is the thing. I'm old and they probably can't fire me before I retire. So, you know, I'll just say it out loud. Yeah, Jesus was the fourth guy in the... Uh, he, he was the fourth guy in the fiery furnace. He was also at the table with Sarah, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And while I'm at it, yeah, that's Eucharist and Holy Supper. Any other questions that could get me in trouble? Ask away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is all one story, right? I mean, we get this thing like this is something far away and in a book and really done. No, this is like, this is life, right? All the ways that Jesus wants to touch you, love you, tell you that you're okay and that he's always with you. Be there for your friends. Wrap you into a merciful place. Let you matter. Let your life mean something, right? This is what the church should be. Almost none of the churches I've been to in my whole life have been that way. If you want to be in a church like that, you should join here. If you want another kind of church, I have a list of names, and I get a, I get, I get a bonus for sending you there. It's going to be great. It'll be good for everybody, okay? Gosh, on Saturday, 
All my sins come pouring out before Sunday. Uh, I do want to stop dead set at 10, and I want to respect your time. Uh, if you could please come at 8.30, um, you don't have to come, but so that you can get to know each other. One of the, um, you got to make a bigger place feel like a smaller place, right? You got to find your people. So, you know, come at 8.30. It's lonely here if you don't show up all by myself with all those bagels, okay? So, uh, you know, come and then, I'll try to stop really promptly at 10 or just a bit before. Now, hang around if you have a question. If you brought kids, take them home. Uh, if you need food, sprinkly donuts for tomorrow. They're out there. Don't be shy. Do not leave stuff behind. There are Ziploc bags. Take every last thing. Otherwise, the vicar has to stay late and either eat or clean them up. And I love you. So let's pray. Here we go. Before you go, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Two more really quick things. If you need a Bible, take one. If you need a catechism, take one. Actually, I have new of both. You can take one off the table. And also, we will take sort of appropriate breaks around Thanksgiving and Christmas, all that kind of stuff. Don't worry about it. It'll all work out. And if you're going to be gone, let me know. These are recorded, but I don't want you to do it online unless the mercy. I actually want to see your lovely faces and have you get to know each other. Okay? See you. Thank you. Love you. Bye. <laughs>